Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Continuing on our journey through the Bible, and let me, let me just encourage you, don't get tired of the scriptures don't say, oh, that was cool at, at first, and I've been doing this for a while, and I kind of have, have slacked off. Let me, let me just encourage you, if you have fallen behind in the reading and the following of our app, which you can go to the Bible app, version, type in You're the Bible, click on, you'll see our logo. You can, we are in um, part six of 12. We release a new reading plan every month, and so you can jump in, and uh, you can just track with us. It's, it's really great. But God's been revealing some things to us. He's been shaping our hearts. We're looking at the big picture of God from Genesis all the way through the Bible. What is God saying to you? What is the heart of God? What is the authority of the word of God in our lives? And it's so important we understand this. And so we're flying at a high level because a lot of people, we, we come up with all kinds of crazy theologies in Christianity, but it's not based on the full heart of God. It's not based on the whole counsel of scripture. It's, it's a, they, they isolate an event and then make a doctrine out of it. But really, you, you've got to connect them because God is the God of order, right? God's the God of purpose. And so we've been studying all of this journey. We've been from Genesis and now we are in 2 Chronicles. It's been a great journey. We've been watching it. We've been learning. So today we are in Chronicles. I just want to give you a quick overview for Chronicles it is a, it's a book of, of, of just looking over much of Samuel and Kings and the Koranokur, the, 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 the person who's actually writing this down, is, is, is highlighting some of these events. Now, in the Jewish Bible, it actually comes at the end of the Bible, at the end of, of, their, of this section, because it sums up everything. For us, our Bible is not chronological. So sometimes it can be a little confusing as you're looking at it. So, but today we are in Chronicles. And this is something that it's, um, if, if we don't understand it, if we don't know the purpose of it, you start reading the genealogies and you go, no thanks, I'm good. And you just flip to the next thing. But there's a purpose behind it. There's a purpose that we must see the big framework that those in the Old Testament that they're writing to is under the Old Covenant but they are living with a hope of one to come. Everybody say the one. The one who would come and undo sin. The one that would come and undo what Satan had done through Adam. That's why the book of Chronicles, that actually is one book, but we've separated it with numbers to make it trackable and all these types of things. The numbers of the scriptures aren't inspired some people like to use them to make some funny stuff up or some spiritual things up. They weren't inspired. They were added later so that you can, it's like a library, you know where to go and what to read. And, but it was only one book. But this book was set on the foundation of that we live in a fallen, broken world and that we need somebody to come and save us. And the beginning of the book starts with Adam where the fall took place. And all the genealogies and, and, and the names and the key characters of God's story are written in Chronicles. And really in Chronicles, it focuses on the bloodline that God promised the one would come, who would undo everything that Satan had done in the world, which is the Messiah. 
And this Messiah was prophesied would come from the tribe of Judah. And then ultimately from the line of David. So that's why we have this lineage of, of in, in the book of Chronicles, lineage of Judah all the way to King David. And the author of Chronicles highlights David and highlights his bloodline. The reason why I'm telling you this today is because we're going to lean in and focus on David before we move on to these prophetic books that we're going to be in later. We'll, we'll, we'll come again talking about David in the book of Psalms. But I wanted to take a moment today and highlight David. David, a man after God's own heart. We know that David is flawed. I think that's why we like him. We like him because he's human, but we also like him because there's a passion in his heart to please God. And in the midst of his passion, there is an extreme view of his own humanity and brokenness. I can relate to that. Anyone else? Can you relate to that? We have a passion to please God. We have a passion to serve God. Then we stumble and we fall. And most of us, the enemy comes in and just tries to rip our hearts out and tell us we're worthless and filthy and we've blown it. But David was a man that repented. Sometimes some strong things had to be spoken to him. But David was a man who repented. And out of that repentance, God restored to him the joy of his salvation. Restored to him the presence or, the, or, or the, the feeling and sense of God's face shining upon him. And I can relate to that. And here we have this narrative of David in the book of Chronicles. And here we have the, from, from David's kingdom was passed from one generation to another generation. And God allows the children of Israel after David has died and after they, they turn from God over and over and over again, he allows them to be taken off into exile. But I want us to learn from this king before we move on. I've really done my best in my life to be a student of David. Often reading his Psalms, often in my own life using them as prayers, personalizing them, praying them, claiming the promises in them. It's been a very powerful thing in my life that God's used. And I want to I highlight this man, David, who was near to God. He was dear to God. And I want to talk today that, that, one, there's a lot of tests that we can learn from, from the Old Testament. One, we can, we can there's a lot of, uh, I'll say this, uh, we, there's a lot of things in the kings and in the characters that, that say this to you. This is how you do not please God. If you don't want to please God, then do this. And so that's okay to learn that. But I, I have in my own life a great burning sense of fulfilling God's purpose for my life. I think we have to partner with God in determining and discerning what God is doing in our lives and then partnering with him and following him. And so we see that with David. And as you, as you read through the Chronicles, as you read through David's life, there's just this, this, this realness about who he is that you think, how in the world can a broken man like this have such an impact? Why did God choose him? I think it's something for all of us we need to understand that God calls us and it qualifies us, not because we actually are qualified, because he qualifies those he calls. 
And we strive after the heart of God. But what I love about David is he fulfilled the purpose of God. Now, everyone is born with this thing in their heart. You were born with a purpose. You were born to, to, to do something in your life. You were born to make an impact. You were born, like no, nobody, as you come like in your teenage years, you're not like, nobody says, I don't really want to be anything. We all are born with something in us. And it's the mark of God that he's called us to have a purpose. The apostle Paul says this about David. He sums up David's life like this. I want you to hear this. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. Very interesting. As you know, the Old Testament was set in, in there is a Messiah coming who's going to undo everything. The apostle Paul is saying David wasn't the one because his body saw corruption. We know that Christ was the one because his body did not have corruption, did not see corruption. He rose from the dead. But the point of this is that David, after he had served, everybody say served. After he served or after he fulfilled the purpose of God in his own generation, he died. In other words, he didn't leave anything undone. He didn't leave anything unturned that God wanted him to do. And this is the, the power and the beauty of the life of David that, that I want to live, that I want to walk in, that he finished, that he served his purpose. And that God has an invitation for all of us. You have a purpose that you are designed by God to fulfill. You do. And you have a calling on your life. God has an impact for you to make. It doesn't matter what that is. Because we live in a world and in our own humanity that we, that we've, we put values on certain impacts. No, 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 no. This, you are called to be obedient and fulfill, like David, fulfill the purpose of God for your life. At the end of your life, you're gonna come, you're gonna face God. And it's not gonna be about what God's not gonna say, you know, Billy Graham was kind of a big deal. Where were you, buddy? He's not going to compare you. But he is going to reward obedience with a heart and desire to serve your purpose. That purpose could be in your family, could be as a mother, as a father, could be in your company, it could be what you do on the mission field, it could be what you do in a pulpit, it could be many different things. But you have a purpose. Everybody say, I have a purpose. And let me tell you something, your purpose isn't to be shoved into a box that everybody says, this is what it means to fulfill your purpose. Your purpose comes from you submitting to God and to the word of God and allowing him to lead and guide you. God didn't call us to be successful. He called us to be obedient. Amen? One of the greatest things I would love that, that I strive to see in my own children's life as a father is not their career. It's not their rewards. It's not what they accomplished. 
If the answer to the question is, did you strive to be obedient to God, is yes, that is the greatest reward a father could actually hear. Because obedience, obedience, not, we're gonna have, not that we're going to have perfect obedience, but the desire to please God with your life. I think one of the reasons the American church, probably the church worldwide, is suffering from a lack of biblical clarity is because many of the next generational leaders were hijacked by a world system that said success, worldly success, is greater than obedience to the leading and guiding of God. I believe that. And when I look at David's life, I see a man who strived for obedience. He strived to fulfill his purpose. And when David died, and there passed us today out of Chronicles, it was the end of an era. It was the end of his, of his time. There had never been a time like King David, ever. And it ended, and things started to unfold, and you have exile, and you have all this tragedy, but everything, God, God's purpose for David was fulfilled. There is a personal and a kingdom purpose we have. But his personal purpose for the greater kingdom of God had been fulfilled. So I'm going to read today Second Chronicles. It says that David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age. He died at a good age. You know what that good age was? When he had fulfilled his purpose. Then he died. Most of us live our lives trying to extend our lives. We live our lives obsessed with trying to live longer. But if we were to shift that obsession to actually, how do I fulfill God's purpose for my life? We wouldn't have to worry so much about how long we're going to live. There are days of a man's life that are numbered by God. And if your number one purpose and focus is, God, I want to please you with my life. Obviously, we're not stupid and we don't live off of In-N-Out Burger and McDonald's. But if we're obsessed with God's purpose, then when it's time, when we fulfilled, we'll go and be with the Lord. But what was the key to David? What was the key to his purpose-feeling life? And there was one area of his life that stands out to me that I wrestle with. All the other areas, he loved God passionately. Yes, he was. He loved, he loved the word of God. He delighted in the law of the Lord. Yes, he did. But there was, some, there was a character trait about David that, that challenges every one of us in this room. And it's this understanding that David walked in submission to authority. 
And we see it in his interaction with Saul. I believe David understood what it meant to submit under godly authority. He also knew what it meant to submit under God's sovereign authority, whether it was godly or not. I believe that this was the key to David's life. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I was naturally born a rebel. I did not like authority growing up. My parents, if they were here, they would say, I knew that, but I didn't like it. And it was this edge, don't tell me what to do. I'll choose my own path. I'll go my own way. It was, I, it, it was one of those things that with, if someone told me something to do, it just rubbed me the wrong way. What that looked like in church is if the pastor said, hey, raise your hands to the Lord. I'm not raising my hands because you told me to. We're all born natural rebels, some more than others. But there was something in me that needed to be shaped. And I'll never forget, I was, I think, right at 15 years old. And I was at church in Paducah, Kentucky. And this traveling minister was coming through, and um, he, God used him in the gifts of the prophetic gifts and words of knowledge. Um, and uh, he, had, he was just ministering, and he said, hey, uh, this family, I just have a, a, a word for you. And he said, could you stand up? So we stood up, and, and I'm, I'm in rebellion to God. So I was like, uh-oh. And so he walks over to me, and he, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and this is what he said. He goes, and you, son, are too strong. And when he said that, the presence of God just fell on me. And I just, I was crushed. And that word's cut through to my heart and softened my heart of stone. And I wept. It's an embarrassing thing for a put together know-it-all 15-year-old to weep in front of his other friends, but I couldn't stop. There's two things that stood out to me when he said it. I thought that I, because of my rebellion, I thought that I had forfeited my sonship. But God just called me son, and that humbled me. And then God said, you're too strong. And that spanked me. <laughs> but I had the brokenness in my heart. And from that moment, I was determined. I want to live with a soft heart. So when I look at David, I see his heart, I see... I see how open he was. And I want us to learn from his life. And so this understanding of submission is a very difficult thing because we don't want to. Because it challenges the core of our own independence that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Where 
Eve thought, you know what? I don't need God to, be, to have knowledge. I just need this fruit. So I don't need him. And then Adam took it. It goes back to, to that aspect. But I want to share with you some things that we can learn from David's life. But before, before I do, I just want to give a recap of where we are before we step into the next kind of season of the books we're going to be in. In order to understand David's journey, you got to go back to the nation of Israel. God wanted to be king of Israel. He did not want them to have a human king like the other nations, and they wanted one. And, and this is what God told Israel. I want you to hear this for a second. God says, um, when they said, we want a king like the other nations, God told them, any other king besides me is going to be flawed. It's going to, they're going to put a weight on your back. They're going to break your heart. And you're not going to like it. And this king is going to burden you and burden your children. And Israel thought for a moment and said, yep, we'll take one of those. Thank you very much. And so God gave him a king, and that king was named Saul. And he did not submit to the Lord and did not do what the Lord said. He was not a man after God's heart. And because of Saul's disobedience, God regretted ever even installing Saul. So God sent the prophet Samuel, who was the mouthpiece for God, and, and who always had an audience with the king. And so Samuel told Saul, hey, Saul, because of your disobedience, God has rejected you as king over Israel. Then privately, without Saul knowing, I want you to catch this for a second, Samuel's on a mission, and he goes to Jesse's house, who was the father of David. And David was one of the youngest of eight sons. I want you just to picture this for a moment. He was the shepherd of the family's sheep. And Samuel went to Jesse's house and he lined up all the sons. And so he's looking at him. He goes, I just can't, I don't know. Like I, God told me to come here, but I'm not, I'm not sensing what God has said. And so Samuel says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Which is a really interesting question, right? The prophet who has the audience with the king shows up at your house and says, can you, get, can you line up all of your sons? And you're like, eh, well, there's that one. That's nah, fine. We'll just, these, are, these are fine. It's interesting. And so Jesse goes, yeah, he's out in the field. And so they bring him in. David walks into the courtyard and his sons are standing, or the, his brothers are standing there. And, and as Samuel saw David, he goes, that's it. He's the one. And then Samuel calls David over and he pours anointing oil on him to anoint him as king. And there are different types of anointing in scriptures that I won't focus on, but one is, is an anointing to be king, one is an anointing of the spirit, and one is a practical anointing. Like when David, when he arose after, um, after uh, his first son from Bathsheba died, he rose, he says, and he, and he anointed himself. That wasn't a spiritual anointing. He, he put lotion on, is what that means. He combed his hair, washed his face, washed off the ashes where he was mourning. He anointed himself. 
That's what that means. But this is a different anointing. This is a kingly anointing. And the prophet pours it on him. And it's this amazing moment. So after this amazing moment, after the prophet of God shows up, anoints David, pour, like the dude's dripping. He's like, now what? I, you know, what do I do? Oil, head to toe, covered, olive oil. Like if I was brothers, I would have been, well, if I can't be king, at least I can dip my bread in you. Here, come here. I'll dip it on his shirt. I don't know. He's covered in oil, dripping off his head. You know what he does next? He goes back to the field to watch the sheep. It's very interesting. A limousine didn't pull up. Seven black Escalades didn't roll up. Security didn't show up standing around him. A dove doesn't descend. He looks around, gets the shepherd's staff, goes back to the field. And so David is anointed by God, but Saul was still operating as king. I want you to catch that. Just to give you some context, David was anointing around, anointed as king of Israel around 15 years before he ever sat on the throne. Talk about a test, a testing time. And so he had to still deal with Saul, who was in the seat of which God had anointed him to be in. And so when you look at David's life, when I look at his life, when I look at patterns of my life, David had to walk through some tests because from God's calling to him actually walking out his calling. This is a season in which character is developed. This is a season in which we got to pass some tests. What happens is people hear the call, feel the call. I want to do this. God wants to use my life. All right, God, give me a stage to stand on. The Lord says, pick up your staff and go back to work. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. I'm quitting work because I just heard your voice. He says, I want you to go back to work. Because we don't like the testing season but we like the arriving season. We don't like the journey, but we like the destination. And so I wanna, I wanna look at this area of David's life that he submitted to authority, his heart. He had the opportunity to respond to these certain situations one way or the other. And so I wanna talk about four tests of submission to authority from the life of David. This is, what we can, this is what we can learn from. And because of how he responded to these tests, it prepared his heart to be able to sit on the throne. Four tests we must pass to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. I believe this is one of the major keys that David was able to live his life with purpose. And then when he, when he had finished, he completed it. He wrapped it up. The bow was put on it. He was done. He didn't extend it, he didn't stay around. He gave his dream of the temple to the next generation. He said, I'll even write the plans for you. Why? Because David's role in kingship had nothing to do with his power or his authority. It was about he was in that position because of his obedience to God. He didn't put himself there, God did. So he didn't own it, God did. That's why often I remind you and I remind Myself, that this, this, this church belongs to who? 
to Jesus. It's his church. It's not my church. I often catch myself, I'll say, you know, at my church, well, the church that God's allowed me to lead, it's important because if it becomes mine, then I have to sustain it. Becomes mine, then I have to preach things that make people happy. If it's mine, then I better make sure that I do what's necessary instead of if it's Jesus's, then we will do what he says is necessary. And so David understood this. And so as he stepped and was closing to the, his throne, these four tests that are gonna be challenging to us today, but four tests that allowed him to fulfill God's purpose for his life. Number one, he passed the arrogance test. Remember, David was privately anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king of Israel. Saul didn't know it. David, David, Saul didn't know this interaction had happened. And so David was going to the battlefield. We know it, David and Goliath. He's going up, he's bringing some, some falafels and, and pita and so, to his brothers and he shows up. So he gets there and David hears Goliath cursing the nation of Israel, cursing the God of Israel. And David says to Saul, who was king, let no man's heart fail him. Look, he says, your servant. Everybody say, your servant. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, everybody say your servant. He used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his, the hair on his chinny chin chin and I struck him and I killed him. That's my version, sorry. Look, look what he says, you're what? You're your servant. Your servant, Saul, has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. So here's Saul. David knows he's anointed to be king, but Saul is the king. Has it changed? And he understands you're the king. I'm your servant. He understands. He doesn't, listen, you know what he could have said? Hey, thanks for the advice. You may not know this, um, Saul. Um, but uh, Samuel, the same prophet that anointed you showed it in my house a couple years ago. He anointed me. So you're nothing. Don't you know, don't you know the anointing that I have? Don't you know what God has spoken to me? Saul, thank you, but no thank you. David had every right to be arrogant. In the flesh, he had every right. In the flesh, he had every reason to be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm gonna take care of this. And actually, you're my servant. But I believe that David understood 
That if he went out and if he bypassed Saul and he went to the field and he thought, you come here, you, you stinky Goliath, that Goliath would have been victorious because David violated the principle of submission to authority. And so without the blessing of authority, David will not go. Now, this is a different type of authority. This isn't America. This isn't Europe. This is Israel. Okay, they were set aside by God. They were God's people, the only nation of the world that was marked by God. Their land is marked by God. That's it. This role of king is actually spiritual covering for the whole of the nation. Sometimes we confuse and we try to take, we try to take what God said to Israel and that whole reign and kingship and spiritual oversight and apply it to America and our president. It just, it's, that's not how it works. We are now not a part, we're not citizens actually. Our first citizenship is the kingdom of God, not our pa- whatever nation's on our passport, amen? Everybody say amen louder than that, come on. But David, this was a spiritual oversight. And so David's not gonna step into it without Saul's blessing. And so after David appeals to him in humility, Saul says, okay. And David goes and he kills Goliath. But David had to be tempted. He had to be tempted to bypass Saul. He had to be tempted to walk in his anointing. Did David have the anointing to be king? Yes or no? But had he been appointed yet? No, he had not. David was the next thing, but he was not the thing yet. And he operated in submission to authority. David was not arrogant, but he passed this test and you will have to pass it too as you follow God's purpose. There's arrogance in every one of us and every one of us need to understand that we're gonna come against the test and you're gonna be like, oh man, I could do it this way and I could do it that way and this giant needs to die and there's some authority in your life that's gonna be like, no. And so your response to that no It's going to be a key that's going to unlock actually you fulfilling your purpose. Could be a timing issue. But we have to trust God through these difficult times from anointing to appointment. Number two, David had to pass the abuse test. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not promoting that you would be in a situation that you would be abused. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the life of David, but he actually endured some abuse. The big question is what if if authority or spiritual authority is abusive? Let's look and see how David handled it. First Samuel 19, a harmful spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he sat in his house with a spear in his hand and David was playing the lyre and David sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. Pin him to the wall. Not like get close to him, but run it through him. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped at night. This would be abusive. Someone's trying to stick a, a... a spear in your chest, 
Don't submit to that. But then Saul sent messengers like track down this punk and kill him. David knew that. Verse 12, it says, um, Michael, his, his wife says, if you don't escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you're going to be killed. So Michael let David down through a window and he fled away and escaped. So when you're in a situation where there is abuse happening, you can escape. You can, you, you can, you can go step out. It doesn't mean you're not submitting to authority. It just means you're, you're protecting your life. Saul was jealous of David. There's all these songs. David killed his, sorry, Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. And now Saul's trying to kill him. And David responds by slipping away. David didn't pick up the spear. He didn't jerk it out of the wall and chuck it back like many of us would. He didn't pull, he didn't say, listen, no, I'm not going to say that joke. Never mind. Moving on. He also didn't say, you know what, I'm just going to stay and let Saul keep throwing spears at my head. I'm just going to have to get some tennis shoes. I can move quicker. Trade my sandals in for some Nikes. He didn't say that. He got out of there. And that's okay. God doesn't expect us to stay under abusive authority. And there's this idea, especially today we live in, that no matter what no matter what your, your governmental authority tells you to do, you just do it. And that is honoring to God. But the reality is if it violates what Scripture says, your, you, your allegiance is to God, not to government. And that's, that's, just, that's just the reality. It doesn't mean we're always going to like it. So if it's about a, a, a like thing, well, sometimes we got to suck it up and suffer a little bit. But if it's, no, like back in COVID, don't, do not gather. Do not be together. Once we assessed everything, we realized, Scripture says, actually, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. That's what it says. It wasn't out of arrogance, though we were accused of it. It wasn't out of rebellion, though we were accused of it. It was out of obedience. So you cannot like me, but I'm going to obey God. And by the way, thank you for your faithfulness through that very difficult season. Really, thank you, really. But I want to clarify something. Suffering is not abuse. And we have to clarify that. All authority except for God's is flawed. But David in this abusive situation, I'll say this, suffering is uncomfortable, abuse is damaging. David distanced himself from the abuse but he didn't rebel against Saul. And so he passed this test. There are times God's going to ask you to submit to imperfect authority. We have a board here at the church, board of elders. Are they perfect? All of them would say, no. But I submit to them out of submission to God. 
Even if I may not agree, it's okay. I trust that God is sovereign. So we're, we're all going to be called. And David, David understood this. It was flawed, broken, but he didn't rebel. David passed the abuse test. The, the third test that allowed him to fulfill his purpose on his life is the advantage test. Meaning, this is, this, he had an advantage over Saul. You will have an advantage over someone in your life. Could be a boss. Could be other situations. You're going to have advantage. You're, you're, you will always have advantages over people. You work for and people who work for you will have advantages over you. David had advantages. David was more popular than Saul. David was more powerful than Saul. David had the, had the presence of God. Saul did not. He had all kinds of advantages. One instance, he was in a cave. Saul goes in there to relieve himself. David knows it, walks up, hacks off a, an edge of his, of his garment. Saul leaves. David holds up and reveals he had an advantage. Now, I don't know if the garment was on Saul. I don't know if Saul put it down because he needed some more moving room for what he was about to do. I don't know. But all I know is that David had an advantage. And he could have taken out the man who was trying to kill him. And so when Saul leaves, David holds up the piece and he says, Saul, listen, you think I'm trying to kill you. That's why you're trying to kill me. But I'm not going to do it. This was a test for David and it happened more than once. Another instance with a couple of his men, Saul, they walked into Saul's camp they were sleeping, then an opportunity to kill Saul. They could have ended it all right there. Like this is, and here's what's crazy. It had been prophesied to David that, that God would deliver Saul into his hands. Well, wouldn't this be the opportunity? Isn't this what God said? Well, this is what the, this is what the prophet said. David's been, this is, David, this is what the prophet said. I've got a little spear here with one movement, we're done. We, gotta, we don't have to sleep in stinky caves anymore. Come on. He had the advantage. And David says no. Think about that. He is the anointed king. But Saul is the appointed king. And so David is saying this, God will have to be the one to remove him. I'm not doing it. I trust in the sovereignty of God. Another principle here is, is this, you will never sit in the, in, in the seat of authority that you are unwilling to submit to. That's just how, just how it goes. For us, for me, I, as we look for staffing stuff at our church, the idea is this, that you come to, this, to, the, to the table of leadership through the pathway of servanthood. Because that's who you are. So if a person's willing to serve, then that person is qualified to lead. Because it's the nature of Christ. But let me, let me share something with you. 
when you're in a situation that you're facing some of these things and you're tempted to pull a coup, you're tempted to go nuclear, to, to use your own advantage, to get something done and to, to move someone along or to hurt somebody or to put yourself in a position of power. But just let, let me share this with you. Whatever you get, whatever position, whatever role, whatever influence you get by the arm of the flesh, once you get it, you will have to maintain it through the arm of the flesh. But whatever you trust God and submit your heart to him and allow in his sovereignty to lead you and guide you, whatever you receive through the spirit of God, here's the beautiful thing, will then be maintained by the spirit of God. I'll just knock that over. It will be maintained by the spirit of God, meaning, meaning this, you, you can do it yourself, but it's on you. You better be smart enough. You better quick enough. You better know enough people to get it done. But if, but if you are, if you are positioned by the spirit of God, then guess what? Hey God, I don't know what to do. Can you show me? And he moves. Hey God, I don't know what's going on. Will you bless it? And then he blesses. And then we go, wow, I like this better than if I was having to do all this. How many, how many know that, that, that when you trust and operate under the authority of God and allow him to move in your life, there's a rest in that. That's why we believe in giving here at Faith is that, that the idea is this, is you, we, give, we give 10% to say, Lord, everything that I have belongs to you. And then God blesses the 90% and you're able to do more than you ever thought was possible. But if you can keep your 10% and God's not going to curse you. It's just the reality is God rewards obedience. He loves you. He's for you. But he rewards obedience. If you step into a position because you have gossiped and you have devalued and you have spun a narrative and you've got someone in your mind dethroned and you are placed on that role regardless of what it is, then it's up to you to, to keep it. You better, you better pull out your spears and boxing gloves because it's on you. But if God sets you, then only God can remove you. Amen? Last test is the association test. This means this for, this for us. It's so important that we are careful in who we associate with. When we are on our journey from anointing to appointment, and then after even the appointment, we must be careful who we allow to speak into our lives, who we allow to influence us, who we allow to, to, to help us understand the scriptures and God. We must understand that who we associate with matters who we allow to speak into our lives and speak into our families and it matters. A young man came to David one day and he said, hey, David, I got some news. Saul's dead and I killed him. And here's his crown and here's his gold bracelets. Well, this actually was a lie because Saul fell on his own sword. And so David says to this young man, he says, uh, 
Why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed? And then David said to one of his men, kill him. David would not allow himself to be associated with the king killer. David would not allow himself to be associated with, with people who are delighted in the removal of someone and took it into their own hands. Who you are around really matters. I often see this. There may be a spouse that gets around people that are rebellious against their other spouse. And they talk bad and they say things like this. You know, you should really be able to be yourself. Oh, oh, you're not yourself. Well, let me tell you, you're standing in the way of that, your spouse. And so that person begins to influence a, a, a person who hasn't been deceived yet. And then all of a sudden, they think, you're right. I need to be free. I need to be me. I need to go and live my life. And I, I, I need to go and just figure out who I am. And then they're influenced. And then the relationship crumbles and it ends in divorce. Many times, many, many, many times that is initiated by being around the wrong people. And the lie is spoken, the seed is planted, and then it begins to grow. And it, then you begin to see the fruit in the, lives of your, of the life of your marriage. It happens all the time. David refused. David refused to be associated with King Killer. If you're married today, you're married. And if you short circuit, and if you, if you buy pride, break something off. The reality is God has a purpose for that. And many times this can influence that, those words, those voices, those. It can even happen in, our, in, in churches, in any church, I'm not saying ours, but there was a, a group of people who began to, well, you know, well, you know about this, and you know about that, and you know, it can happen in our school. It can happen, it, that's why you have to guard who you associate with. Because you will not fulfill your purpose that God has for you if you don't pass this test, the test of association. 1 Corinthians 15, says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals or corrupts good character. Listen, this is what the Bible says. The best way you can serve your kids is say, hey, tell me about your friend. Tell me about who you're, who you're texting. Tell me about who you're DMing. Tell me about who do, you, who do you follow on TikTok, Instagram? Hey, who's in, your, who's in your Be Real group? If you don't know what that is, it's a new social platform that I feel really cool that I know what that is. But, but you asked the question, why? Because association matters. And the wrong association will distort and short circuit what God has for that child's life. I believe, I believe David understood, this, understood the submission to God. But from your anointing to your appointing is tests. At every stage, at every, and then guess what? A, the, a, bigger, a, a bigger level, a bigger devil, greater tests. But this is what I, I believe about you. 
I believe that God has a great purpose for your life. You were not on accident. Regardless of what's been spoken over you, there are accidental parents, but there's no accidental children. God has a purpose for you, and God wants to use you. And I would encourage you today, learn from the heart of David that trust God in the suffering and the pain and the frustration and the runnings and the caves and the lies. Trust God. Pursue God. And we together as a church will see God do something amazing in our lives, but also as a ministry here. He is our leader. And there will be a time that God does something in our midst that we go, only God could have done that. And there'll be a time when we're, feels like we're suffering, but we trust God and we look to him and we guard our hearts and we guard our mouths and we guard our actions and we pass the test so that we, like David, can fulfill God's purpose, purpose in our lives. We tell our children the most important thing is fulfill God's purpose. The purpose of God is a, it's not a restaurant menu. Well, I think I'll have one of these and one of these. And how's your, how's your soup? Oh, I'll take one of the, that. This is, this is not the purposes of God. The purposes of God are given to us. They're not ordered. They're given to us. Ask God courageously, Lord, what is my purpose? Maybe you're in a test right now. You failed a couple of times. Here's the gracious thing about God. He's like, all right, let's, let's, we can, we, let's run this back. I'll let you take it again. He's a good teacher. Maybe you're facing, you didn't even know it. Could be an advantage test, could be association tests that you need to cut some friends out of your life. We've had to do that. Our family's had to do that. Well, I don't know what test you're facing, but what I do know is that everyone here is probably in the middle of one. And so we want God to give us discernment so that we can fulfill his purpose and live our lives in the manner which really, really matters. And may we do that and may you do that. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for your, the truth of your word. Lord, I want to thank you that in a day and age where truth is resisted and truth is changed or changing, they try to change it. That we can have confidence that your word never changes, that your principles never change. And so Lord, today we just want to submit ourselves to you. And we say, Lord, show us what test we're in. Is it our own arrogance that we are allowing to come to the surface? Is it an advantage that we actually do have, but we don't have the patience to wait? Hmm. 
Is it friendships that we won't give up? Lord, I just pray today that you'd show us. And so, Lord, may we hear your voice that spoke to us. May we hear your voice, God, that I mentioned earlier that just brings clarity. May you, may you minister to us and soften our hearts that we would respond and live our lives from that place. I just want to please you, God. In my own humanness, in my own lack of capacity to carry burdens, in my own tendencies, that I'm not, a, I'm not proud of. I just want to please you, Lord. Lord, that's our heart. That we would recite what David recited. We would write and mean and pray. Lord, examine our hearts. Reveal any unclean spirit in me. Lord, show me. Remove it. We realign our lives today in trusting your sovereignty in your heart. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed today. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I, I, I don't know Jesus. And I have been rebelling. I have been strong. But I feel him softening my heart and revealing to me I need him. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus and repent of your sins and, and secure your eternity with him and fulfill the purpose of your life, if that's you today, nobody's looking around. If you could just remain with your heads bowed. Can you just raise your hand right now, right where you are, just to receive that? God bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you, thank you. Several hands. I want to lead you in a prayer that the Lord out of Romans tells us that when we come to this realization that, you, that God gave his life for you and he invites you into a relationship with him, that we confess this with our mouth. And so let's pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus... I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and I put my faith and trust in you. From this day forward, I belong to you. From this day forward, keep my heart soft as I live in submission to you and to your word. Use my life to fulfill your purpose is for me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Come on. Let's get